Alrighty. So, if you can kind of notice, Pastor Ryan and Pastor Dean are not here. They're both on vacation, but they're one just left and the other's coming back tonight. Pastor Dean is headed to California with his boys for spring break. I wish I was going with him instead of the snow, but that is all well. Uh, Pastor Ryan is going to be coming back to, late tonight. Uh, and he was visiting his brother and his sister-in-law as they had a daughter this last Thursday. And so he got to spend time with them during this special time. And so here I am, the youth director. My name's Adam Prawl. And we are kicking off a brand new sermon series. It is called This is Hope. And it is all about encounters with Jesus and how it changed people forever. And this morning we get to jump into John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. It's a little lengthy, but we get to take a look at a Samaritan woman and how she encountered Jesus at the well. So if you will join me. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask from me a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I, or my bad, um, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. But when he comes, he will tell us all things. 
Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. We do not live on bread alone. (laughs) Oops, that's last week's. All right. Well, let's take a look at the Samaritan woman. Uh, She kind of sticks out a little bit as she's the only person besides Jesus at the well. And honestly, if you know anything about back then, the sixth hour does not mean 6 a.m. It truly means the sixth hour since sunrise, which typically means about noon or 1 p.m., meaning it was the hottest part of the day. The hottest part of the day there is basically, think of Phoenix in July, and you go outside in the hottest part of the day. Yeah, you don't want to be there because it sucks. It is terrible. I, I cannot do heat, and I hope you don't, can't either. But this woman is all of a sudden, we see her at the well, hottest part of the day. We kind of see that she's kind of an outcast a little bit. We see that she is trying to avoid people. Because why else would you go to a well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, when no one else is around, other than trying to avoid people? And so we right off the bat kind of know, okay, she's an outcast. She's got maybe something hiding from her that she doesn't want others to see. And then Jesus opens up the book of truth about her. In verse 16, he tells her, "Go go tell your husband. Yet, then she says, I have no husband. And we learn that she's had five husbands, and the man she's with now is not her husband. All of a sudden, her sin is broken open for us to see. And she didn't even say anything about it to Christ, Jesus. But Jesus knew. And she realized right afterwards that, oh, maybe he's a prophet. But honestly, we all have some of that sin in our life that we just want to try to hide it. We try to keep it within ourselves. It's typically the deepest and the darkest sin of it all that maybe we've told one or two people in our entire lives this sin. But we still keep it in ourselves. We still feel maybe a little ashamed of what we had done. And frankly, as I've grown up, I've seen it's gotten a lot easier to hide things. It's been a lot easier to hide not just the deepest, darkest sin, but quite often all the imperfections. Since the invention of the computer, when I was in elementary school, the computer was almost as big as this podium, and now it's the size to go into my pocket. The computer has allowed everyone to kind of hide a lot. You see, you look at social media, And when you post something on social media, say you go on vacation, you're going to take maybe 500 photos. If you're my family, we do that. Too many. But we go and we take the five best, five best-looking photos 
that looked like we had the perfect vacation. Even if the vacation had rained five out of the seven days and it was a terrible mistake to go there for the vacation, we try to take the perfect photos and post them. But then, of course, we get to add a comment onto there. And when you add comments, well, the computer now, they allow you to check your grammar and check your spelling automatically for you. And if you know anything about me, I am terrible speller. And grammar is not, uh, let's say, I did not get an A plus in grammar in high school. I think I got more of a C. It was not good. But we find ourselves hiding behind the computer sometimes. We try to put out this perfect part of us. We try to make it so when everyone sees us, they're like, oh, they look like it's all, they have everything together. They look like everything's perfect in their lives, even though deep down it's not. And even before the computer, that was true. See, when I was growing up, our family, we had something called the Sunday best. We had the best clothes that we would wear all week. We would save for Sunday to then go to church and wear them. And so when we were sitting in church, we could look around and everyone was dressed up, which most people say, oh, we dress up for Jesus, uh, which is great. But fortunately, that wasn't 100% true. In reality, most of us dressed up so that we could put on this persona that, oh, we've got it all together. Our families are perfect. We are doing super well in life. Even though at home, if you have teenagers, teenagers, parents, they argue quite a bit sometimes. Uh, brothers, sisters, they fight sometimes. It's not always perfect at home. But when we went to church, we had to make ourselves look like it was. We wanted to make sure that people saw us, they would be like, oh, the Prawl family, they've got it together. They're doing well, even though we were all over the place. We were trying to hide that sin. We were ashamed of what we were, who we were, even though it's okay to share it with others. We still feel that shame, and it builds up inside of us. But there's hope. And if any of you can remember back in 1981, I know I can't, I was not born yet, but um, I learned something this week that I couldn't believe that I had no idea had happened. See, in 1981, a traumatic event happened. And if any of you remember, Pope John Paul II, there, he was almost murdered. There was an assassination attempt on him. He was shot four times, almost died on the table in the ER, but was able to rise up and walk out of that hospital. That's a miracle. But the bigger miracle was what came afterwards. See, the man who tried to commit murder on John, Pope John Paul II was in prison, and the Pope went and saw him. And the Pope didn't just sit there and say, oh, you're a big sinner, you're not going to go up to heaven. No, the Pope went and forgave the man. The 
hope forgave the man who tried murdering him. Murder is one of the biggest sins that we view in society. Laws, if you murder someone, you go to prison for life. But the Pope was able to forgive him. One of the hardest things to forgive. And we look at this woman who, she had five husbands at at one point or another, and the man she was with now wasn't a husband, which we look at, that is another big sin. But Jesus still told her that she could still have living water. That even though he knew the deepest, darkest secret about her, she was still forgiven. Because of God's grace, we are still forgiven. So we have this hope. There's one other part with this is that forgiveness isn't the last step. Because if you think about it, say you have wronged someone, you say, I'm sorry to that person. And that person will hopefully forgive you. But there's two ways you can go. You can say, okay, I, 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 I'm sorry, and you forgive me. Now I'm going to change because I don't want to do this to you again. I don't want to wrong you again. But there's also the path where we say, I'm sorry, they forgive us, and then we just are in this loop. We all of a sudden wrong that person again. We say, I'm sorry, they forgive us. All of a sudden, what does our apology mean? Because if we keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, do we really mean I'm sorry for what I've done? Or are we just saying the words just to say them, to ask for forgiveness and keep living on? You see, we have to go down this new path to truly change. We have to put effort behind Okay, I'm sorry, you forgive me. Now I'm actually going to change what I'm doing. There's two men that I want to describe here right now, and they truly changed, I believe. But these two men were not goody-two-shoe kind of people at the beginning. They are in fact, people that were very famous. However, they were not famous for the church-going type. One of them murdered hundreds, if not thousands, of Christians. The other one was a pop star saying lyrics that were very not church-friendly. But both of them kind of hit rock bottom at one point. And both of them decided, you know what? I need a change. I need to go a different direction. Because they saw what their lives were like, And they knew that was not the correct way to go about life. These two people, these two men, they actually lived 2,000 years apart. The first man that murdered hundreds, thousands of Christians, he, he himself murdered, and then he was in charge of others murdering Christians. He was not a great man. He was feared across the country for what he had done. 
Even men who were doing God's work feared of him. God even told one man, Ananias, to go to that man and save him. And Ananias, of course, was very nervous because here's a man that's trying to kill him. But if you don't know, this is the story of Paul. And we read through the book of Acts that his Saul, originally, he was blinded by God. And because Ananias had God's strength, was able to give God's grace to Saul. And Saul became Paul, who then went out. And he delivered the news to thousands. And he could reach all types of people because the big thing was he called himself the chief among sinners. He felt like he was the biggest of sinners, but now he had God's grace and he could spread it. The second person, current pop star, some of you might know him. His name is Kanye West. And when I was in middle school, he was the thing. Everyone wanted to be like him. Everyone loved him, even though his music was not church-friendly. Some of his lyrics were even against God at times. And he, we could see the last several years, his life kind of dwindled down. Critics started making fun of him. And life for him wasn't going well. He even walked onto an award show to try to accept an award. He didn't even win. Life was not great for him anymore. But then last winter, he dropped a new album. And it wasn't a pop album. It was a new album in a new direction. It was truly a gospel album. And since he released that album, he's been touring worldwide just singing gospel. He's left the pop star behind him. So we have these two men who pushed away their past and chose to go this new life. This woman at the well, she went into town to say, hey, I think this is Christ. Even though she was probably still a little unsure of who Jesus was, but she felt confident enough to go tell others. And everyone else all of a sudden went out. So she had to say it pretty convincingly. And that's where today comes in to play for us. I will say this last week has been a rough week. There have been people who've lost savings, people who are, are scared that they might lose loved ones. There are countries getting locked down. My grandma is locked in a hallway at a nursing home. She can't even go far enough to the nursing station right now. She is locked down. It's a scary time, but the common theme here is we do not have a God who's just watching us. We have a God who is loving us and is with us through his spirit. Because if you think of Paul 
and you think of Kanye West, how in the world could they change their lives that dramatically unless God was working within them? To go from a murdering Christians to all of a sudden trying to do outreach to Christians from singing pop star lyrics that were against God to now singing gospel. God is at work within every single one of us. And I know this week is going to be, this coming week and the weeks following, it's going to be a tough time for not just this community, this country, but the entire world. So I encourage you this week to look into your hearts and truly ask God, where are you at work inside of me? There is hope. As God's done it to many others in the past, he can do it right now through all of us. Let me pray for us.